0: You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'm Mike Boyle. I'm the interim associate pastor here. And uh, this is my home church from I. It's been our home church since 2008 and continues being our home church. But one of the privileges I've had recently is being an interim associate pastor here. And that ministry or that specific thing comes to an end the end of this month. And it's been a great privilege serving in that capacity here. It started out, it was four months. You may recall when Pastor Michael went on a sabbatical, I was asked to come and serve at that time and then they extended a little more and and then a little more. And I was glad it got, got extended. So we've been here for 21 months serving in an interim basis. And it's been a good ministry that we've had. It's been great to serve alongside Michael and the elders and ministering the church family here. It's been great ministering with you and you ministering to us as a family. We greatly appreciate that your love for us, our love for you and doing that. Our plans are just take a couple months and just rest. And um, we'll do a little traveling with that. We're gonna see our daughter up in Alaska for a couple weeks and we'll do that. And we're going out to Omaha for a week, but we're taking... Um, Um, March and April just to rest and then looking to see what God has for us after that as we've done an interim ministry here he may call us to another one like that so I ask you to pray for us as we move down the road and as we continue here with our home church we'll be around and all not going anywhere but uh just shifting on what our ministry will look like and everything okay well let's bow together for a word of prayer as we come to God's word Lord, we give you thanks for your word, for the word of God. Oh, how good it is that somehow it can wash over our souls, somehow it can fill our minds, somehow it can pierce our hearts. And in the process of doing that, Lord, that somehow it illuminates, gives us understanding of who we are and what you want to do. We all come with different circumstances today, Lord, and a way that you can work in our lives in various ways. For some of us, it may be a way that we're thinking that you need to somehow renew our minds. For others, it could be on what we're doing and somehow you need to cause us to stop or start doing something. And for some of us, it could be an attitude in our heart that just sits deep in there that needs to be challenged and even changed. But to know that we're committed to the Word of God. And that your spirit can illuminate that word and accomplish its task and ministry for each one of us. So we're committing ourselves to that. We're asking that you do that work. That somehow you can accomplish your task, your ministry in the way that only you can do. And the process knowing that that will conform us and mold us and shape us to be more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we will pray. Amen. A One passage of the Bible I always enjoy reading is in Acts 16. Now, the situation is uh, Paul and Barnabas have been arrested. They find themselves in jail. They've been singing through the night. And as they're singing along, all of a sudden an earthquake comes. Whoosh, and all the gates of the prison open up. The jailer is there and all of a sudden he realizes that all of a sudden his pr- prisoners have escaped. And he determines it's time to take his own life. And Paul stops him and says, nobody's left. So they have this conversation and finally the prisoner says, I mean the jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul just looks at him and says simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's that quick for salvation, that simple. But that idea of believing introduces this concept of faith. and The Bible has a lot to say about faith, Hebrews 11 are told without faith. It is impossible to please God. We're told in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials for the testing of your faith. That faith can be tested and produce endurance. Endurance can have its perfect results. It me be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We also get to Romans 4, and all of a sudden, as God's talking to Abraham, he talks about being weak. Weak in faith. we have probably all experienced that, haven't you? You ever felt like you were weak in faith? You know, those times in your life when all of a sudden you find yourself a little confused about what God's doing in your life. Times when you're a little uncertain about what's happening in your life. Maybe times you doubt what God's doing in life. And sometimes when it gets so bad, you actually despair of what God's doing in your life. Have you ever wonder what Jesus would think of you at that time? Ever wonder what Jesus would say to you if you found yourself in that kind of despair, that time of discouragement, that type of confusion, that kind of uncertainty? Well, that's what we find for John the Baptist. We come to John the Baptist, who's this guy that we know is the greatest, but There's a whole life before we get to that passage. Just imagine you're young John. You're about seven or eight years old. You come to your dad and you say, you know, dad, all my friends are named after their fathers, except me. Why wasn't I named Zacharias like all my friends? What a story his dad had to tell him. Well, son, there's an angel that came to me and said, You call him John. I didn't think you should be called John. I was going to call you Zacharias. And I didn't speak for the next nine months. That's why you're John, not Zacharias. What a story. An angel gave him. And then he talks to his mom. So Elizabeth sits down with John and talks with John a little bit. And she says, well, let me tell you my story. So when I was expecting you as a mom, your cousin, Jesus, his mom came to visit me. And she was expecting Jesus. But as soon as she came into the house, you just leapt inside my womb. The Holy Spirit filled you. It's like, wow, what a story. Here's this guy growing up with these great stories about angels and Holy Spirits in his life. And it's like, man, he just takes off and does ministry. He's got this great ministry that takes place. I mean, he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He comes out he gets to baptize Jesus. He gets to all these things. And then we get... To chapter 11 here. We got a John who's done all these wonderful things, but somehow his life seems a little different. It's interesting we look at the life of John the Baptist, it's really pretty short. We're in Matthew chapter 11, but we're told in Matthew chapter 4 is when he's arrested. So we're gonna go from chapter 4. All the way up to chapter 11, he's in jail all that time. But arrested in chapter 4. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, he's arrested in chapter 1. He's arrested. He's only got 16 chapters. And he's already in jail in chapter 1. You get to uh, Luke. And Luke has him arrested in chapter 3. You got to go all the way to chapter 24 to the end of the book. Uh, John's ministry was pretty short. In fact, what we find with John's ministry, as soon as he's arrested in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus refers to a passage of Scripture. And you know what? Jesus starts to do his ministry. You know what his words are? Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be baptized. Uh, It's interesting. Jesus started after John's arrested Jesus' ministry takes off. So what we have is he's been in jail since Matthew chapter 4. Now to understand, jail's at that time. Nothing like today. He's actually jailed along the east side of the Jordan River. You've got the west side is where Israel is. He's actually outside the nation of Israel. It's called the Perea Fortress. Macaris is the actual name. It was really a for, originally a fortress. It, it was just a battle place to make sure there was a fortress to prevent people getting to Jerusalem. But Herod turned it into a palace. He renovated this whole fortress into this luxurious palace. And you've got the palace that is on top of this building. And John's in jail. And that's underground. And John's underground in jail. What we know about jails at that time, they're just filthy. I mean, they're just filthy. Uh, They don't care for the prisoners. They don't treat them well. There can be torture in them. The other thing, you're in the middle of the desert, and they are hot. And John's been in jail. Now, we know there's some who say, when the scholars look at this, some will say he was in jail for at least 10 months. Some say he was in jail for up to a year. Some say almost up to two years. We're not sure exactly the time, but think about it. He's been in jail for ten months to two years. In this filthy jail. We know that somehow his disciples are able to come and go because they talk to him in some way, so there is some contact. But that's where he's at. He's arrested before Jesus' ministry ever starts. He's never seen him do anything except get baptized. He's been in jail that whole time. The whole time he's in jail, Jesus is doing ministry. After 10 months, 15 months, 2 years, John's a little discouraged. Uh, John's in a place possibly of despair. John's just not sure what's going on. Because it doesn't seem to be going the way he thought it was going to go. And after all those months in jail, after all that uncertainty, whether he's in despair, just confused, all of a sudden we find out he's got a question. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 11. Starting at verse two, here's what we read. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Here's his question. Are you the one or shall we look for another? It's like he's all of a sudden been hearing. He's not seen a thing. He never saw a miracle Jesus did. He just heard about him. Whenever his disciples came, they filled him in on another miracle Jesus did. But he never saw anything. never saw anything happen. He did see him baptized because he baptized, but he didn't see anything. He just heard what other people said. As he's hearing these things, he's starting to wonder, what's going on here? What actually is taking place? So he has this question. The question seems so simple. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? That word another is important to pay attention to. There's two kinds of another's that you can have in the New Testament. One another is where it's the same thing. In other words, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit will come, and he'll be another, which means just like him. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be just like Jesus. They're the same thing. They're not different at all. But the other word for another means different. It means it is not the same thing. So all of a sudden, it's when Paul talks about the gospel. He talks about somebody can preach a different gospel. They're not the same. They're going the opposite way. Two different things. John is using here when he says another, he says, Are you the one or do I need to look for a different person? And you're not the one. Why would he think that? Why do you think he needs somebody different than Jesus? Well, that's because of what he preached. He preached Jesus would do miracles and things. But he also preached that this Messiah would come and he likened him to an unquenchable fire to bring judgment. He liked him to a fork that was going to be winnowing through all the wheat and take all the chaff away. He was thinking of one who was coming to judge and deliver the nation of Israel from those Roman people and he will reign as king. And he doesn't see that at all. Should I be looking for a different one? Am I confused? Uncertain? Just in despair that nothing is right. He's been in jail. Is Jesus going to be the king? He shouldn't be in jail. That's not where he should be. Shouldn't he be out with Jesus celebrating? No, he's in jail. And he's wondering if I did the right thing. Did I do the wrong thing? Am I looking for something different? And Jesus. Jesus is going to respond to him. It's keeping in mind, though, that's what everybody was looking for, was a king. Even his own disciples. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascending to heaven. And the last question of the disciples, are you going to set up your kingdom now? They were all looking for a kingdom. John's not unusual. He is just as normal as all the other Jews. But his concern is, did I preach this but I should be looking for a different Messiah. So Jesus responds to him. He gives him an answer. Here's what he read. we read in verses 4 to 6. Jesus says this. Whoops. And Jesus answered them. That's the disciples. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus does not give him what we all expected him to say. Yes. (laughs) He doesn't say yes. He says, let me tell you. Here's what we know that a Messiah is supposed to do. We know the, the Messiah is to heal people who are lame so they can walk. We know that he will give sight to the blind. We also know he'll give hearing to the deaf. He'll even raise the dead and make them alive. The Messiah will do all those things. But Jesus stops short. Stopped short of saying he's here to judge and he's here to reign. Uh, Jesus talks to him and clarifies for him. Uh, tells him what the real plan is. John needs to understand. The Old Testament prophesies all this stuff that the Messiah will do. And he will come and do this. But we don't seem to understand, John, is when he will come and set up that kingdom. And it's not now. Somehow all of them expecting that, somehow that kingdom's going to be delayed, somehow it's not going to happen. And as they reject the Messiah, all of a sudden we find out the kingdom will be later. You know, there's a reason why they thought it was all together. If you've ever gone out to the Colorado, and you go to the mountains, there's nothing more exciting than finally getting there and to realize how big those mountains are. And then if you're a hiker, I'm not a hiker, so take this by faith. But when you drive to the top of those mountains and you get up there, you're looking from a distance. You look, as like it's just mountain after mountain after mountain. And you think, you know, I'm going to go from this mountaintop to the next mountaintop. And you get up to that mountaintop and get to the top and you realize, whoa, there's a long distance between these mountains. They're not right next to each other. They're a distance apart. The Old Testament's like that. The Old Testament saints, when they looked down time, they saw two mountains. They saw the first coming of Christ, when he'd do all these miracles. And they also saw the kingdom that he would bring. But from a distance, they looked like the same. But when you get to the first coming, you realize, whoa, there's a distance between these two mountains. And John didn't know about the distance. John saw the two, and he preached the two and they only saw the one. Confusion, the doubt, and Jesus reminds him, tells him the plan, the plan is, John, I'm coming to do this. I will do this, but I'm coming now to do this. So the word goes back to his disciples. Here's Jesus' answer, I came as the Messiah. He indicates all the deeds and activities you expect from the Messiah have happened ask your disciples. Did you notice what it said that they heard and they saw? They went back to John. They went back to John and said, you know, John, here's what we saw. We saw Jesus make the lame walk. We saw Jesus heal the deaf. We saw Jesus give sight to the blind. In fact, John, we even saw him raise him from the, John, we saw all of these miracles take place. That's the words that we see, that's the words we have of the deeds that we saw the Messiah did and that's what was promised that the Messiah would do in the Old Testament. And he sends the words back to this confused, uncertain, despairing follower of Jesus. Now all that takes place, then Jesus realizes in a moment and he all of a sudden he pauses to make sure he's going to affirm who John is. I mean, all of a sudden you can sit back and say, "Well, I don't know about John. Was he really a good man?" I mean, think about it. He doubts God. Is he? Unt- what's happened? Why is he in jail? All these questions. Here's Jesus' affirmation about John, starting in verse seven. And these men were going away, so the disciples are leaving. They're on their way away, but apparently there's a whole bunch of people standing around. They heard this whole exchange. So what happens? Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Now he's going to talk about John. He wants all these people to know who John is. He's going to give an affirmation. He's going to assure by who he is. He's not going to talk about just what he did. He's going to reach down into the heart, the character of John. You need to know who John is. Here's who he really is. This is affirmation of who he is. And affirming that John is the Baptist, the man that he's supposed to be. So here's how he begins. As they went away, he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palace. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. He gives three pictures here. He says these people actually went out to hear John preach. When they went out to hear him preach, one question: Well, did you go out to see a reed? They understand what a reed was. Reeds grew along the wadis. Those are those little streams. It's where it is so dry in Israel that the riverbeds and the wadis—they're they're just dry most of the time until the rainy season, and then there's water rushing down them. And these reeds grow in that area. The reeds can grow to 16 feet tall. But you know the characteristics of a reed. It just blows. When the wind blows, it goes every way it wants. Every wind and wave of doctrine, it just moves. It vacillates. You can't hold in control. It just goes anyway. It could even be where it gets crushed and ground, but it just, just vacillates. He said, Did you go out to see a man with no convictions? Did you go out to see this vacillating person out there? Is that what you really went to see? I'm like, No, we didn't go to see that. He said, Well, let's look at a second place. What else did you go see? Well, we went to see a man in soft clothing. I was like, he had no soft clothes. I don't think camel hair is soft clothing. Uh, maybe it is, but I don't think it is. Soft clothing the place was he dressed in such a way that you'd find him in the palace of the king? Is that what you expected? Here's the guy dressed in camel clothes, uh, clothes made of camel hair. Did you expect him to be in the palace? Keep in mind, he's in the jail underground below the palace. Did you guys expect him to be up in that luxurious place where Herod is and all his friends? Did you really expect him to be dressed and up in there? You didn't expect that, did you? Well, let's think of a third option. Did you think you went out to see a prophet? Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) And he challenges that. Notice what he says on the prophet. Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. Now understand what took place at this time. Prophets were all in the Old Testament. Prophets came up to 400 A.D. Last one who wrote was Malachi. Everything up to, They're all the prophets. He says that John the Baptist is greater than all those prophets. There's something different about him than all those prophets. He identifies here that you went out there, and all of a sudden he is more than just a prophet. So, you went to see a prophet, but he's more than even a prophet. How can you be more than a prophet? What could be better than a prophet? They prophesy, they tell the Messiah's coming, they bring judgment upon people, everything they say will be believed. How can it be more than a prophet? And then he tells us. Look at the next verse, verse 10. What's more than a prophet? He says, This is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before the Lord. You wanna know what's better than a prophet? It's Jesus' messenger. He's better than any prophet you've ever seen. He's one who prepares the way for Jesus. He's the one who's called the forerunner for Jesus. Oh, he's more than a prophet. Why? Because he gets to see the Messiah. You know what else? He gets to touch the Messiah. Think about it. He gets to baptize. I don't know how he baptizes. Well, he probably does it like us. We do it the biblical way. No, he baptized him. Somehow he touched him. He actually touched. He touched the Messiah. Those prophets, 400 years, they never touched him. They never saw him. They never saw a miracle. Nothing. John actually saw the Messiah. He actually touched the Messiah. He actually heard the Messiah. He is more than a prophet. Oh, he could prophesy about the Messiah, which he did. But he's more than that. He's actually Jesus' personal messenger. That's who he is. This is Jesus' messenger. That's who John is. What an affirmation. You're not just a prophet. No, no, he's more than that. He's my personal messenger. That's who he is. He gives us a third picture of him. He's not just more than a prophet. He's just not the messenger. He identifies that he is the greatest of the prophets. Notice what he says here in 11 and 12. 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Then they insert here, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Picks it up again. From the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it away. Spiritual battle. Verse 13, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Catch that, until now, verse 12, until John, verse 13. John's a great, he is the greatest prophet that's ever been. Until now, until John. He's the greatest prophet that's ever been. There's been no one like him. Folks, when you think of John the Baptist, you think of all those Old Testament saints you like, you like Isaiah, you like Jeremiah, you like Malachi. You like all those guys. Those are great prophets, but nobody, nobody, nobody is greater than John. He is the greatest. He is the greatest of all prophets. He, he is it. There's nobody like him. But he inserts this little phrase in here. Did you catch this? There's a little phrase there in verse 11. Yet. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You're saying John is the greatest bat, uh, prophet. But somehow, the least of the kingdom is greater than John. How can that be? Now, folks, we're the least, we're the least of the kingdom. Every believe in here? Greater than John. How are we greater than John? Do you realize what we have that John never had? John's going to be executed in chapter 14. He gets executed for a way he never would have expected. And Herod never expected it. How does he get executed? Well, they have this big party going on in the palace young woman dances and does some dance, and Herod is so pleased with the dance that he promises it to this young woman she can have anything she wants, up to half his kingdom. Half his kingdom. And then Herod is shocked. She asks for one thing. Now keep in mind the palace is this Prian fortress along the River Jordan and the prison is at the underground of the palace. The dance has just taking place. All has happened. Herod in this party atmosphere says, Anything you want. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Which means they just have to go downstairs and execute him. And he's dead in Matthew 14. You know what happens after that? You get the end of the Matthew? Christ dies on the cross. After Christ dies on the cross, what happens? He's raised on three days. Did John see any of that? Absolutely none of that did John see. Did John experience that? John did not experience any of that. Jesus was raised and went to heaven. John did not experience any of that. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Christ... You are now indwelt by the Spirit. You are sanctified. You are reconciled with God. Did any of that happen to John? John did not experience any of that. That all happened to us. As the least, as the least in the kingdom. We are greater than John. Do you realize how wonderful our salvation is? Do you realize what John prophesied, knew was going to happen, but never saw? When he was able to see Jesus walk by one day, Point his finger and say, behold the Lamb of God. He he knew who he was, but never got to experience that salvation that we get to enjoy. So he's the greatest prophet. But even those of us who know Christ as our personal Savior, we who are the least in the economy of God are greater than John. John. There's one final picture we have here that Jesus gives an affirmation of John. He does this down in verses 14 and 15. The people all knew something had to happen for the, the Messiah to come. Elijah has to show up somehow. This is an important part of the puzzle. This is an important piece for the Messiah. He writes in verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. He says, Elijah has come. That fulfills the prophecy of the book of Malachi. That Elijah must come before Messiah comes. And Jesus is saying, listen, the ministry of John, his spirit and all that he did, it did exactly what God wanted to do. And we have Elijah here in John. This wonderful affirmation of who John is takes place. And as he does that, he's speaking to this man in jail discouraged, maybe even disappointed, unsure. Is there a different Messiah we would see or are you the one? Now, when I was a kid, I one time got a punching bag. Now, a punching bag, for me, always had a clown on it. And I'm going to have some help here from one of my favorite granddaughters, So is Callie here? There she is. Come on up, Callie. We're all staring at you. (laughs) So when I was a kid, well, I I should probably tell you this. I tried to find one of these. I mean, I went online. I checked all the stores in town here. And in checking them out, I found 36 I could buy. Okay, And I bought one because they're all exactly the same. Wasn't my plan to buy Batman, but it's the only one they had in stock. So we got Batman here. Now I want you to think, I want you to think about this. I want you to think of this as your faith. Okay? Uh, just think of it as your faith, okay? That's what we're gonna do. And Callie's gonna help me here because in the way life works, we all have trials that come our way, right? And when they do, we have these light tiles, trials that hit, yeah little things that happen every day. We go through them every day, right? Don't things happen every day to you that they're just not in your plans, right? And they just happen every day. Some days, though, there's some a little tougher and she's going to whack it a little harder and they're just a little harder and you know what I'm talking about? They just give heavier trials and they're heavier and they're harder to deal with. But then, then come the despairing ones. Ready for this one? And they take us down. And we're just down and out. We're just in complete despair. We're we're just like John, just confused. It doesn't make sense. We can't make sense of it. We're we're discouraged. And all of a sudden, it's like, God, can you do anything when I get despaired like that? And then all of a sudden, like a John, our faith comes back up. Thank you, Callie. I want you to think about it. We may not be in such despair as John, but you may be. But all of us are wrestling with our wobbly faith. here's what God wants us to know. Here's what we learn from John. The promises and the plans of God strengthen our wobbly faith as followers of Christ. No, no, seriously, think about it. It's the plans and the promises of God that strengthen our wobbly faith. Why why do I say that? Think of John. What was the prophecy, the promises that he knew? He was one who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. What a great promise. The forgiveness of sin. And he knew that. Those promises strengthened his faith. But what he had misunderstood was the plan of God. What was God's plan? He thought it was the idea of the Messiah would come to do miracles and be king. What did he learn from Jesus? That's true that that's God's plan, but there's a distance between those two mountains. And that first coming is true, but so is the second coming is true, And the plan of God strengthens the faith of the followers of Christ. That's true for us, folks. You know how important the promises of God are for us? Do you ever cling to those promises? In Hebrews 13, 5, where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew twenty-eight, last verse in the book of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the earth. So with that wobbly faith, you're uncertain. Those promises come true, don't they? Look at the last verses of Matthew eleven, when Jesus says to us, "All those who are weary." And heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. Oh. Aren't there days you just wish, dreamt, desire for rest, rest for your soul. And then we're strengthened. This wobbly faith gets strengthened by the promises of God. They get strengthened by the plan of God, too. But problem is we're like John. I really don't like the plan. What do I mean? James chapter 1 tells you the plan of God. Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Know that the testing of your what? Faith produces what? Endurance. And endurance shall have its perfect result. What? That you'll be perfect, complete in Christ. It means mature. That God is telling us, listen, you know what His plan is? For every one of us, trials will come into our life into this wobbly faith. You know why? It's to strengthen this faith, then grow up and mature. I mean, think of, it, think of your faith like a muscle. You got this muscle going, you want to strengthen that muscle? What do you have to do? Add more weight. Didn't you think as you got older, the trials become easier? (laughs) They don't, do they? They become more difficult at times, don't they? Why? God's testing your faith. Why? That's his plan. Folks, his plan is to to test our faith that it can grow from a wobbly faith and be strengthened. Why? Because that's the plan of God. That's the plan of God. That's the plan of God when my faith is being tested when I'm going through a trial. God really has a plan for me, he has a plan for me. What's his other plan? He wants to conform us to the image of Christ. We're to look and we're to become like Christ. And we're not just turn and ask your neighbor if you're like Christ. No! Because we have to become like Christ. How does he make us like Christ? Well, he does some chiseling. He does some cutting. He does some work. and he conforms. The pictures are, he conforms. He puts us under pressure. It's not fun. Now, for some, some of us, we've got some hard chunks cut off. I mean, man, when we came to Christ, well, he's got a lot of work to do. Man, that hurts. But sometimes it's like he's got a scalpel in there in your heart. He's just got a scalpel. He's right in there, and he's just doing some really important things. Tenuous work in your heart, and you feel it. Why? He's conforming us to the image of His Son. God has a plan for us. Why is it? How is it that He's going to strengthen our wobbly faith? He's going to do it with His plan, with His promises. But what does He have to strengthen? It's this wobbly faith. And we just didn't acknowledge we have a wobbly faith. It's just never still. It's never still. You ever take a a, a broom, and balance in the hand, you know, your hand. You know, you put it in your hand, the handle. You start to. If you stand still, it'll fall over every time, won't it? The only way it stays up in the air is because you're you're putting tension. You're moving. It's just your wobbly faith. Your wobbly faith. It's always being tested, always being tested, always being tested. And so it's just a question of, are they light tests? Are they harder ones? Or are they despairing ones? I just pause and say, you know, God, here's where my faith is right now. Here's what's going on in my life. And Lord, I need to be strengthened. I really need your strength. I need to come along with your promises. I need to come with your plans. I need you to strengthen my faith. And, and to do that, to really strengthen folks, uh, we're, we're a church committed to the Word of God, not because we want to be. There's great value. There's great value in the Word of God working in your life to give you strength. And if you're not finding yourself in the Word on a regular basis... The spirit of God doesn't have a lot to work with in order to strengthen, to strengthen your wobbly faith because he uses his promises and his plans from the word of God to strengthen our wobbly faith as followers of Christ. Now it would be nice if this was just true of us, but we're going to look at Romans 4 where all this plays out in the life of Abraham. Romans 4, verses 19 to 21. Here's what we read, okay? Paul writes this. Now, this is talking about Abraham. Abraham did not weaken. There's our weakened in faith, our wobbly faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So here's the situation. God makes a promise to him. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Right. I'm 100 years old. My wife's 90 years old. There is no way this body and her womb will have a kid. And it says of him, he did not, not weakened in faith. He considered his circumstances. This is reality. Notice what else it says then. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong. That's better translated, he was strengthened. Which means, when you say you grew strong, this seems like something you're doing. (sighs) i am going to get strong. That's not what this is. He was strengthened by God strengthening him. He was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's exactly what Jesus did with John. The plans and the promises of God strengthen. the wobbly faith of the followers of Christ. And folks, we all have a wobbly faith that God wants to strengthen with his plan, with his promises since you're a follower of Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks. Oh, we give you thanks for your promises, for your plan, for the work that you do in us. We thank that you strengthen us. and You strengthen our wobbly faith. I lift up my brothers and sisters here. I have no idea what they're all going through. But all of us are facing some kind of trial, some kind of testing, some time of way that you're working in our lives. Somehow our wobbly faith is going through some light testing, maybe some medium testing, some hard testing, some in despairing testing. Lord, let us find nurture, encouragement, strength in your promises and in your plans as your followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the good things about communion it lets us celebrate what Christ does for us. Uh, not just that forgiveness and say, oh, that's a good part. But keep in mind, we've just talked about the strengthening that he does for us. This fellowship we have with Jesus Christ, that's what we celebrate in communion. It's to commune, it's to fellowship. As we come to that, it identifies a couple things. We as a church, when we practice this, we practice an open communion. That is, if you know, Christ is your personal Savior, we invite you to partake. That is, that you've not just believed in Christ, you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day, and as a sinner, you believe on the joy, uh, Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But it's also a time for us as believers, we're going through trials and some things, we may need to bring that before the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I'm just struggling right now with my faith. I need you to strengthen it and you bring it before Him. That could actually be a sin you're engaged in. That somehow the Spirit brought it to your attention. Not we even talk about it, but somehow in your mind is this flashing light of like the sin you should confess this sin. And you need to bring that before the Lord. All that before we have fellowship. The idea of fellowship and communion is things are right between us and God. That's why he writes in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Whew, not a great picture. Cleanse us. All unrighteousness. So we're going to go to a time of silence and preparation for communion, okay? Let's go to prayer.